This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello and welcome to Talking Flutes Extra with me, Jean-Paul. Right, as you can probably hear, I'm not in my usual environment. In fact, I'm in London. I'm down this beautiful road called Chilton Street, not far from a really famous English music shop called Howarth's, who sell oboes, bassoons. In fact, I think they sell all woodwind instruments, but they major on the things they make, which is saxophones and oboes and English English horns. Right, you can probably hear someone whispering next to me. And the reason I've come into London today is one of my dearest friends and the ultimate flute nerd, and he won't mind me calling him this, Josh Johnson, is has made an appearance here in London. And we can't let that go without having him on one of our podcasts. And I think this is your third. It is indeed my third. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that voice, that voice is so deep. It's my yeah. professional voice. Yeah, it's your third appearance. And people love your podcast because you just come up with this information that bamboozles me. <laughs> I don't think there's a flute in this world that you've never not tried, never des- well, there's lots that you've never desired, but you have this ultimate love for Senkyo, but you also have a real great respect for other makers. Now, I'm getting on a bit, so I don't do New Year's resolutions. Mm. I try to think I can make changes during my life or during the course of a year. However, a lot of people, certain musicians I know, like to sort of have January the 1st as a time of change, a time of reflection. How about you? Oh, God, absolutely not. (laughs) No, I stopped making New Year's resolutions when I was 25, and it became very apparent that I would break them within 48 hours. I kept, I kept trying to not drink. That didn't last very long. I kept telling myself, well, this year, I'm going to have a practice diary, and I'm going to practice five hours a day, and I'm going to write everything down. And no. <laughs> I, just, I gave up. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It also feels like a huge amount of pressure to put on yourself to say, you know, I have to do this thing, or I'm just a giant failure at life. We all know we're not going to go to the gym for more than three weeks in January, and we're not suddenly going to turn into fitness models and we're not going to suddenly practice so much that we end up winning a principal <laughs> job in a major orchestra. And we're probably not even going to clean our house any more than we used to. So <laughs> I think it's fun to pretend that, that but humans by nature, I think, resist change quite a lot. Uh, and you I haven't changed. You're just I, so don't, honest, I don't think that you, to the core. I really don't think that you can inflict that kind of change on yourself. I mean, some people can. Some people have incredibly strong wills. Mm. And, good for them. I mean, I can barely make myself get out of bed before noon. This is, <laughs> it was, it's what, 11, and it was a struggle for me this morning. I mean, you've got a lot. I'm sorry, I know you wanted me to be very inspirational. <laughs> I never am. <laughs> yeah, coffee's good here, actually, isn't it? The coffee's wonderful. Um, so let's pretend. Mm-hmm. I'm very long in the tooth. You're long in the tooth, but not as long in the tooth as me. So if you look back, when you've made changes, certainly in your... Think you're an annoying person, is that you play everything. I do. 
Is that a natural thing that you've just been able to pick up an instrument and just get it really early on? Yes, yes, it was very organic. Because um, as I'm sure you know, and anyone who's listening to this probably knows, my first instrument was actually the viola, mm. which is sort of an accident. I moved to a new school, I had to, as part of general music class, had to take a listening aptitude test, got a perfect score, and they decided that the viola was the hardest thing that one could learn. Um, I don't know if there's the viola jokes or the alto clef, but anyway, that's what I was stuck with, and it was fine. Like, I didn't find it tremendously difficult. I played the Telemann G major viola concerto in like six months. Uh, and then I wanted to be in band, so my grandmother bought me a clarinet at a yard sale for you know, $60 or something. It was like an old plastic bundy with masking tape instead of corks. And I just didn't find that very difficult, and so I thought, well, what else is there? And so I just kept taking instruments home from school. Um, and by the end of, oh, I don't know, sixth grade? I was probably 12. I don't know what, I don't know what the equivalent of sixth grade is over here. But around the 12-year-old mark. Um, I played everything that I currently play. It just all, it just, it's all patterns. I was, a, I was a huge math nerd when I was a kid. I just, it was very apparent to me that it was all just a series of repeating patterns. And I thought, well, any idiot could do this. Why, why are people so impressed by this? Because it's dead easy. Like, it's certainly much easier, I think, to, you know, play a flute concerto than it is to write a paper on theoretical physics or something. I mean, those guys have it tough. All we have to do is wiggle our fingers a bit and <laughs> blow at the right speed, you know? Yeah, but your Instagram <laughs> post, Josh, Josh J NYC, and of course, most people listening to this will know Josh by his Instagram anyway. You're just suddenly put up, you playing the anglais, or you're suddenly playing the oboe, or the bassoon, or the saxophone, or the flute. And it's as though that is your instrument. I think that's because I started playing them all at the same time when I was really young. So I never had a chance to kind of become fully baked on one of them. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't a flute player who, at the age of 19 or whatever, decided to take up the clarinet. I played them all at the same time, and so I sort of grew into each of them individually, simultaneously. So I never had a chance to to develop an identity on one of them that I had to change, if that makes any sense. Like, doublers are usually saxophone players, right? So they're usually saxophone players who, how generous am I going to be here, uh, who at some point decide to play other things, and sometimes they do it well. (laughs) Uh, But they're always, you know, a saxophone player first. And so they approach everything that way. Mm-hmm. I wasn't anything first. I mean, I was a violist, maybe, but mostly I was just a kid who read a lot and didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> that is just so annoying, especially when people hear you on the flute now. What did you study at Juilliard? Uh, I was a clarinet oh, no, major. Just, yeah, I'm not, even worse, a, I'm not even a quote real flutist. But everything you're doing at the moment, or well, has been for quite a long time, it's flute-based. It, yes. Well, I think that's because... I mean, I did actually have a full-time flute job before the pandemic ruined everything. But I think it's just because I love the flute so much. I'm obsessed with the flute as an object. Like, most of the time I would rather talk about flutes or take pictures of flutes or read about flutes than actually practice the flute. Now, uh, let's, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to rewind there a sec. Right, I've been taking flutes, pictures of flutes for years and years and years, and for me, it's the hardest instrument to photograph. Yes, oh my god, it's horrendous. It's so difficult. But you, you, you suddenly have started 
posting pictures or taking pictures yeah. are stunning. Oh, thank you. That's Absolutely very nice stunning. Cool. Without this mega expensive gear and without the light boxes and the stuff and the, all the lights that I have to use just to get a straight flute picture, suddenly, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you're posting something. You said, yeah, I took it with a cell phone. Or, yeah, I just, I closed the curtains and... So, yes. how, <laughs> how, was this a f fluke? How are you suddenly taking it? It is, I think it's a fluke. It's, it's a fluke that I, I think it's because I, at, at my core, I'm a very scientific analytical person. If I take a picture and it accidentally looks fantastic, I try to remember what I did and how I got there and like what settings did I have the camera on? Because the thing we have to remember is that our cell phone cameras now are equivalent in quality to the $5,000 cameras professional photographers were using in the 80s and the 90s. You know, every single one of us has a 4K, you know, 16 megapixel film, Hollywood film camera in our pocket. And we're certainly all carrying around a DSLR now. I mean, it's like <laughs> anyone with a cell phone made in the past five years has basically a Canon 8D in their pocket, you know? So the just messing around with the settings. Everyone has a, a setting on their phone, whether you have an iPhone or an Android or whatever. If you go into your camera, there's a way to have manual settings where you can change everything, the f-stop and the shutter speed and the white balance. The white balance is really important when you're photographing instruments, I've been finding. Um, just play around with it. Just the, the, the photos that I've taken recently that I am the most proud of were all accidents that came about from me just mucking about with all my settings. And I would set it to something, make sure I either wrote down or just made a note of what they were, and then took several pictures. If I didn't like those, I changed something else a little bit. I mean, it's like practicing, really. You just change tiny things incrementally, and eventually, it's not terrible anymore. <laughs> you sent me a picture last night, and I said, how the hell did you take this? It was absolutely stunning. It was a, a beautiful Senkyo flip, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Taken at a sort of crisscross angle, mm -hmm. black and white. The light was perfect. The, the detail was perfect. The black background was perfect. And the, the problem that people have with taking flutes is reflections and the way that the curvature of the body will, will change the what you're seeing. But this picture you sent over last night, it was though somebody had been taking photography for years, and you said, oh, I did this, and I... I, do, I, I honestly would, I would have saved myself a lot of time if I hadn't just taken a photography class 15 years ago or something. <laughs> I keep thinking about it, I still might. Maybe, I my, tried. maybe that's my New Year's resolution this year, is to take a photography class. Oh. Right, you know what he said to me? He said, oh, it was a very dark room. I put the, I put my, the camera on a, on a tripod, put it on this setting, did it for this amount of time, and that's how it came out. So, of course, me being me, I thought, okay, I'll try it. So I go into my conservatory, drop the blinds, nice and dark, a little bit of light coming in. Did almost identical to what you said. Nah, didn't come <laughs> It was rubbish. And that, and that was just stunning. And you have to go on Joshua's Instagram page to see them. I mean, it is absolutely stunning. Um, I, people actually frequently, lately, especially since I've become not quite as terrible at taking pictures of flutes, um, have several people have been like, well, what are you doing and how do you? I just, I really love flutes and I think you can tell. I just, I think yep. it's like I, the photographs come out well because I really love these things. And I th think that when you're photographing something that you have a, a really deep personal 
interest in, the deep respect for, and deep love for, you look at them in a different way than a lot of people do. Okay. And so I think it comes out. I mean, not that you don't love this. I'm sure the pictures were great. You're also the master of sort of underselling yourself. No, no, no. I just let's go to one of my favorite pictures you've taken. The best best head joint maker in the world, and the most beautiful head joint in the maker. Yes. maker in the world is undoubtedly song song head joints yes absolutely stunning 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 head joints and then just occasionally not on, on a, one of your instagram feeds not so long ago was this stunning picture of a lot of song head joints mm-hmm. but not put in a sort of a normal sort of display fan you have this way of being able to have inconsistencies within the picture, mm. visual inconsistencies that draw you in, and it was just stunning. And I mean by visual inconsistency, if you've got about six head joints, <coughs> mm-hmm. the there easy six, thing yes. to do is to fan it out. Right. So that's boring. Yes, I've done that. It's fine. Um, actually, I will tell you what was happening in that picture, and I, I cannot take full credit for that picture myself. Um, my best friend and duo partner in the States. Jeremy Clayton was visiting here for about three and a half weeks and he was with me that day at Just Flutes and we were just taking pictures of everything and he said why don't we line them up sort of on a diagonal and one of them started to fall as I was taking the picture. So if you look at the picture it's the one on the right most side it was falling because we put a little too much space between it and the next one and I, I got a picture so it was on velvet and so it sort of fell very slowly because um, you know there's all these engravings and it was sort of catching but it was definitely falling and I just that was the shot you know I mean I definitely there are hundreds of pictures from that photo shoot and they are not all good uh, but that one just the second I saw it in the camera I was like oh my god this is going to be my greatest Instagram post ever and it is it is the first thing I've ever posted in my entire career as an Instagram obsessive um, that has gotten over 2,000 likes. And it's, it's probably, I, we're, I think we're looking at 2,500 soon. Like every single day I wake up and there are still dozens and dozens of likes on that picture. And it was that I posted it well, over a week ago, two weeks ago, I think, mm. now. Uh, I don't know, it resonates with people. And I, I, think it's, I think it's because it isn't perfect. You know, like the symmetry isn't quite there. So let's have a brief. Also, the head joints are beautiful. Yeah, let's talk about the head joints. Before I go and get another coffee, because it's early in the morning. It is indeed. Oh, God. It's dawn for me, practically. (laughs) It is, just for those of you who are listening, um, it's 11.13 a.m. No one should be not functional by this hour of the morning. (laughs) Except for me. So let's talk briefly about song head joints. Yes. Let us. Absolutely. If you've never tried a song, and oh uh, there'll be lots of you, there'll be lots, lots of you out here that won't mm-hmm. even know the name Song. Song, um, tell us a bit about. So that is his name. It's not. It's not a name no. he came up with because you play music on him. His name is Young Chan Song. He's Korean, South Korean, and he was a jeweler. He still is. Actually. He's still. Um, you can follow him on Instagram at uh, songheadjoint underscore salt jewelry. I think this is his official Instagram account. Um, and he's just a genius. I, there's no other way to describe it. He can just look at a piece of metal and instinctively know exactly what to do with that particular piece of metal to get 
the most resonance out of it. He knows exactly how to engrave a piece of metal. Because, you know, metal. Metal has a grain, like wood does. But it's, I don't know, he does things with head joints that I've never seen done in my life. And he also makes wooden head joints. He does, and they are. They, they look strange. Some of them cool. look strange, but yes. they sing. Yeah, they're just unbelievable. Um, and he also makes a lot of his own metal alloys. Oh, does he? Yes. So he, uh, and I don't know, to my knowledge, of any other flute maker on the planet that is using this one particular alloy that he came up with. Which he calls 985 gold. So it's 98.5% pure gold and then a little bit of something, I don't know, fairy dust or something. Um, but it's, about, it's like 20, 23 and a half carat gold. Oh my god, it is the most incredible sounding head joint. Um, he does a great 20 carat gold alloy. He does a really nice 14 karat green gold alloy. The green gold actually is one of the head joints that Jasmine plays on. Yeah. So Jasmine Troy, as a lot of you know, um, plays on song head joints on a Stravinger body. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people maybe don't know. Um, people ask me this all the time because I, Jasmine and I have been friends for a very long time. And so people are like, when does she play? You must know. Like she talks about it all the time. It's not a secret. <laughs> um, but she has, I believe now she has three song head joints. Jasmine, if you're listening to this, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the first one that she played, and I think is the one that puts song on the map with most people, because visually it was very interesting for her because she plays a gold flute, uh, was a 99.5% pure silver tube fused to a solid 24 karat gold tube on the inside. So basically it was a very fancy Aramite, which is a patented term by the Powell Flute Company, so don't call it that. No, we, we, call, <laughs> our, we call ours fused, but ours is only 925 with yeah. 14k. Okay. So you're which talking. is also what Powell's is. Powell's is uh, Sterling and 14k. Yeah, yeah. But we call ours fused. Or Sterling and 9. So it's 995 Whoa. with 24k oh. with pure gold. And the gold's on the inside. So all of a sudden, it? Jasmine rocks up on YouTube, you know, playing what looks like a silver head joint on a gold body, and people lost their minds. Yeah. Um, and the thing that makes song head joints really stand out, because obviously you can't look at something and, you know, know exactly what the alloy content is, usually. <laughs> Sometimes I can, don't judge me. But his engraving is unreal. <laughs> yes. I mean, the man is like a tiny magical elf from some planet where they only make jewelry. Like, it's ridiculous. And he does these um, inlays, these floral pattern inlays, with emeralds and rubies and diamonds and rows of tiny pave diamonds around the edge of the lip plate. And every song crown has a gemstone inset into the end. It's either a diamond or if it's a silver crown, I believe it's a ruby. Uh, gold crowns get a diamond, and they're just and the shape of the crown. He does it's like a it's almost like a saw blade. Um, if you look at the edge of it, if you if you go to Josh JNYC on Instagram, you can see photographs of this. Um, it looks like a like a circular saw, and it's they're very cool. Um, but actually, the the little ridges on the crown are what kept catching on the velvet and slowing down the fall <laughs> of that one head joint <laughs> that allowed me to get that picture. Um, they're just incredible, and they sound, I mean, they blow like nothing yeah. else. And they're super responsive, huge, huge sound in the bottom register, and, and huge control on the top. I mean, you can play the tiniest, tiniest, quietest top C on these head joints, and it just comes right out. I was at the last NFA that actually happened in the real world before COVID. Um, Julie Kim Walker, who is a food professor in Texas, um, dear friend, she's a wonderful, wonderful human being. 
the song Headjoint Booth was right across the aisle from the Sankyo booth, which is where I was working. Huge shocker. And I saw her, she bought a song Headjoint at the, the, the convention, but I saw the moment that she found the one that she liked because her whole face just transformed. And that's what happens when you play these, like, I mean, it was, it was like an absolute sort of wand choosing the wizard moment, but I'm, everything about your playing transforms when you try a song head joint that's like the perfect fit for you. Um, oh, they're just so good, they're so good. And they are probably one of the only aftermarket head joints that I would say works perfectly well with a Sankyo flute body. Because Sankyo flutes tend to work best with Sankyo head joints. Um, but a song head joint sounds incredible on them. Nagahara head joints also work really well with Sankyos, by the way, for those of you who care about that sort of thing. <laughs> so for me, and I know for you, the song head joint is not only a visual beauty. No, I mean, they're actually... Do, it's not just that, it just unlocks everything in your flute playing. Yeah, I mean, there's really some proof in the pudding there. It's, yeah. you know, they're not just pretty, because a lot of things are just beautiful. Now, these things aren't cheap, however, However, a lot of you will have a perfectly good flute that you're playing. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, everybody else is playing this flute, this flute, this flute. You put a song head joint on your flute, providing it's a good body, mm -hmm. that will transform your playing probably more than if you just step up. Yeah. To a it will indeed. And they're not all super fancy ruby encrusted no, sort of no. things. Um, you can, he does make them with no engraving on the lip plate. Or simple engraving, no gold ride, just just silver, and that's it. Like you know, they look like a, a normal head joint. Um, but they are absolutely. But why would you not get one that's just encrusted with Burmese rubies if you if you can afford it? <laughs> you can afford it. That's the thing, isn't it? The price of gold these days is horrifying, as you know, because uh, yes, we've been Trevor James about. makes some very, very beautiful 14-karat gold-plated flutes. It is that's twice as expensive as platinum. It is. Which it is, is weird, isn't it? It is weird. It's it is, well, it's always been. Platinum has always mm. been cheaper than gold. The reason platinum flutes are so expensive and always have been and always will be uh, is that platinum is incredibly hard to work with. It's really, really difficult. And if you don't have the right tools, platinum will just chew the edges off of all of your tools. And that's why it's so expensive, because it's bloody hard to make a platinum flute. Whereas gold is basically chewing gum. It is. <laughs> the higher the current, the softer it becomes. Just sort of wrap it around a flute-shaped tube and put some keys on it. But yes, gold is incredibly expensive. So you guys are, you're still doing the gold-plated flutes on special order, On right? special order now, only because the price of gold is so, so high. Isn't it? I actually really, really like platinum a lot. And I think platinum, some people don't like the look of gold, right? Like some people, especially here in the UK, where ostentation is not really the thing. <laughs> you don't, you know, it's a little bit of tall poppy syndrome, I think, here. No one wants to stand out. Platinum, from distance, looks like silver. So no one automatically, you know, thinks you're some sort of show-off. But the greatest thing about platinum, as far as I'm concerned, is that it does not ever tarnish, and I hate tarnish. I loathe tarnish. But in the, in the UK, we love Tarnish, don't we? we I, the well, I mean, you've only just, as a nation, stopped playing Louis Lott flutes about 15 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> we have, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. It was a tie-in not so long ago with every principal player. Every single person had. I mean, Michael Cox was on a Louis Lott until, I don't know, a decade ago or something. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is that, it's not really actually that interesting when you know why, but every single one of these people who was a lifelong Louis Lott devotee now plays an Altus. 
yeah. which were designed to replicate the sound of Louis Loud as much as possible. And I would say largely they've succeeded. Some of my absolute favorite flute players on the planet play on Alsace flutes. They sound great. They're really good instruments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm really glad that, you know, you guys have finally stopped playing flutes that were made, I don't know, when America was born. <laughs> we have, right, that coffee's gone cold because you've been talking. I know. I need another one. Should we just, should we pause for a second? Yes, let's get some more caffeine. It's an important thing. I think you're almost as addicted to coffee as I am. I say almost, but for me it is my, it's my poison. Oh, you have no idea. Really? I mean, yeah, I have no, other poisons We, have, we well. have real coffee here, and unlike you in the States that have the drip. No, no, you're looking at me really badly, but come on. I happen to very much like filter coffee. <laughs> I, in fact, have a drip coffee maker on my kitchen counter right now, <laughs> and I drink a minimum of one full pot of coffee a day. I also, I make it very strong. You would like my coffee. Really strong. Can you actually make a drip really strong? Oh, my God, of course you can. You just fill the basket with coffee until it's almost full, and what comes out, there is no amount of cream that can lighten that to white. Uh, I've yet to be convinced, but... Um... Yeah. I mean, I obviously also drink my own body weight in espresso every day. <laughs> Which, for those of you who aren't here, is a lot of espresso lately, especially lately. So we did Lockdown has not been kind to me. We did Songhead Joints. Yes. In your, in your life as a musician, mm -hmm. your sort of still young life as a musician, you, well, you know most, if not every flute maker. You've probably played every flute that yes. these makers have played. The variation, let's just look at the groupings. Mm -hmm. Let's look at the... The mid-range, you know, those that have started already mm -hmm. and are sort of moving up to something. Mm -hmm. Do they need, in your experience, do they need to go up to something that has silver head or a silver tube? I think, my own personal philosophy, is that you shouldn't buy the absolute best instrument you can possibly afford. And you should, I don't know, I was... I, at one point I would have said get as much solid silver on an instrument as you can, but a handmade silver-plated flute like the Sankyo 201 or the Muramatsu EX or the Alsace 907 with a silver head joint will, I think, do you far better than sort of a factory flute with an, a full silver tube. Yeah. You know, those flutes are really, really good for people who just don't have a lot of money. Because handmade flute, even the silver-plated ones, very expensive. I mean, the cheapest Sankyo was 4,000 US dollars. Yeah. Because it's still fully handmade. I mean, there's no difference in the way it's made to a 24 karat gold flute. Same with Altists. You know, the 807 and 907 are every bit as carefully made as their 18 karat gold flute. You were saying last time we spoke yeah. that Sankyo make everything. Every single bit they make themselves. They do. They yes. don't buy in. They nope. just make nope. every single even, bit. Even their own pads. They have a department where they make their own pads. And that's unique, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I cannot think of another flute maker that does that. Most flute makers, they, you know, and even the ones who sort of make their own springs, so they use like Pisani pads or Strawberry pads or something. Um, Sankyo makes their own pads from scratch. So everything is completely handmade. And that's why they're expensive. Thank you. Oh, those are beautiful. New coffees um, arrive. But any handmade flute is going to, you know, there's an incredible amount of workmanship, but you're also paying for that, you know. Um, but things like the TJ Virtuoso are fantastic instruments for people who really just, they're not going to have ever 10 grand yes. for a flute. And we make our flutes, we, we, we 
price point them specifically. Mm -hmm. And we've had this discussion before, but I, 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 I regard flute brands like you would do car brands. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's Aston Martins and Bugattis and Rolls right. Royces. Which and very few people have, but most people have a Toyota or they a do. Nissan. Or, or a Ford you know. or a, exactly. Yeah. And so we, we're in the, and we, we, we stay within this, the, the Ford, the Toyota, the Nissan sort of category because that's where we fit. Mm. Ultimately, we're a factory made instrument. Right. But we adore, we adore and appreciate the amount of work that goes into the Bugattis, the right. Ferraris, the Aston Martin, the flute world. And when you're talking about handmade, you are talking about buying an instrument that, that is made, each one is individual. So then yes. no two will ever play the same. Right. So when you're playing a handmade flute or you're playing a song head joint, you have to play each one because there's yes. a variation there, isn't there? Yes, and sometimes it's very slight. Um, I do find Japanese flutes tend to be extremely consistent yep. from one to the next because that's sort of just a reflection of Japanese culture, right? There's yep. precision and there's a tremendous amount of pride in workmanship there. Not that there aren't in other flutes, you know, um, but I do think that in, with, with American flute makers, um, you will find much more variation between individual specimens of otherwise identical instruments. Like, you know, if you line up four just solid silver soldered tone hole Boston flutes from the same maker, every single one of them could feel like a totally different brand. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of, that's really individual. And so you really have to play a bunch of them to find the one that's right for you. With Japanese flutes, I think that it's a little easier to just say, okay, when I'm a monster, I'm gonna order one. And I'm probably gonna like it. Got you, yeah. yeah. Because you're, you, you, have, you have a really good idea of what you're getting because the standard of repetition in craftsmanship is so high there. And I think a lot of the big divide, I wrote a, a blog article uh, quite a few years back about the difference between Japanese flutes and American flutes. And I, I, just, I think that the thing about American flutes that it reflects sort of the American mindset of you know rugged individualism and whatever and so I think they're intentionally made so that no two of them are really remotely alike whereas the Japanese obviously very highly value conformity and sort of harmony in society and so their instruments are also all made so that while yes there will be individual variations between them on a very slight level if you pick up one of a group of 20 ounces flutes it doesn't really matter which one, you're probably gonna be able to play a concert on it that night, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, so it's just it's just reflections of the society that they made it in, which I think is super cool. And for those of you that have an instrument already, part of the new year, new you, hmm. could be, okay, I'm really happy with my instrument. However, when was the last time you had a COA? When was the last time you had the instrument serviced? Exactly. You may be thinking that you need to change it because it is not giving so you what you want. People who think they need a new flute just have leaks. They just their flute just doesn't work optimally. Yeah, well the first thing you should always do when you think you need a flute is get an overhaul and see if you still think you need a new flute. Because for most people who are in that position, the the flute that you get back from your overhaul is a new flute because it's so different <laughs> from yeah. what you sent them. Because the thing with, with flutes, right? Flutes are machines. Flutes are fundamentally simple machines. You know, there's physical action that produces an outcome and there's moving parts. And as with 
any machine, in any industry, things wear down over time. And the flute has parts that are soft. You know, pads are not these sort of static, permanent, infallible things. They will change over time. And if you're not particularly careful with your flute, as a lot of young people aren't when they're cleaning them, they can tear. You know, and so, but even if you take incredible care of your instrument, over time, tiny, tiny leaks will develop, and that'll change the way your instrument feels. Things become more difficult, it becomes less responsive, and then you think, well, I've outgrown this instrument. No, just get it fixed. Just take it to someone, like, shove a leak light up it, and just see what's going on. Uh, not that I'm advocating for never buying new flutes, because I am in that industry, and I would like everyone to buy all the flutes. <laughs> you would, but it's, 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 we're in January, and yeah. when was the last time you, our listeners, hmm. actually looked at your flute. I had a professional look at your flute. As you said, to see if there's any leaks. Yeah. Because you're exactly right, when a flute comes back from a, an overhaul or a service, it not only looks different because it's been cleaned it's, up, right. but every pad is seating. Yeah. The feel, the springing, the tension has right. all been changed. And sometimes, you know, over time, spring tension can get a little lax and it feels different. And the number one most important thing that I would say to anyone listening who thinks that their flute isn't as good as it used to be. Change your head joint cork. Yes. <laughs> they are yeah. not, it's not a one and done permanent lifetime situation unless you get rid of your cork completely yeah. and switch to a Celestine Rexinator, which I highly recommend you all do. Yeah, Celestine Resonator. Oh my God, the Rexinator. Yeah. I will never, ever play with the cork again, ever. As someone who played for a living, I mean, eight shows a week, I had to play the exact same thing the exact same way. Switching from a cork in my head joint to the Rexinator changed my entire career. It's all of a sudden nothing was stressful about work anymore at all. I, there were no pianissimo hide entrances that worried me. There was no amount of projection that I didn't think I was going to be able to get. Um, you should, everyone should try them. Everyone should try them. Yeah, Selixteen Reson Resonator. So just, cool. Just Google it. But it, it's yeah, really, find Stephen Clark. Talk to him about it. Yes, because he actually had the... Um, He's the, the reason I have one. Yes, yeah. on his alto flute. He had the alto flute. Um, he has them, I think, now on all piccolo, C flute, yeah, and alto does, flute. Yeah. yeah, they're great. But yes, the cork is the cork dries out. And I think that a lot of people never think about the cork in their head joint. But over time, it will shrink because it dries out. And then your head joint will start to loop around the cork. And the first thing that happens is your extreme high register will not come out you will just lose the ability to play like a top C one day. Mm -hmm. And like that's because that's the day that your cork finally shrunk just enough that it's now leaking. And you know, I, I may have played the flute for a long time, but the same with my very old LaFan, is that it wasn't, something wasn't quite right. Yeah. And I said to Dave, I don't know if I've done something. Dave is our technical director. Yeah. And uh, he went straight to the head joint first. And yeah. he said, your cork's, your cork's gone. Yeah, because they dry. I mean, it's it's literally a chunk of a tree. It gets dry and yeah. it shrivels up. Change it. Change your cork. All the. You should never have a cork that's more than I don't. If you play every single day, change your cork every year. Oh really? Yeah. Every year. Yeah. Well, that's the new year. Certainly not once every ten years. Yes. <laughs> new year, new cork. New year, new cork. You, as always, <laughs> you have to change it. Josh, 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 Johnson. How mm. lovely to catch up with you it again has in been lovely. Now we've just had quite a bit of coffee, more than one, more than two, may I add? 
And now we're going to go off for some lunch, aren't we? We are going to go off. We're having some dim sum. We are. On Baker Street. And we're going to meet with the Sherlock Holmes with Bet. Oh, we're going to go see Bet French. We are. Beautiful, Who's, beautiful I've actually player. been a, she's a beautiful player. Um, I've been a fan of hers for a very long time. So it's very exciting. Now we're friends. And it's, you know, which is sort of, I don't know the story of my food life is today. Tend to just befriend the people that I idolize. You know, which like, I think makes people think I play better than I do. <laughs> you and Mihi Kim, Professor Mihi, oh, Professor Mihi, you know everybody that there is in the flute world. So um, I do. If there's no, if, if there's if there's somebody that plays the flute and Josh doesn't know you, you're not really playing the flute because Josh knows you or Mihi knows you. Yes. Oh God, Mihi. And Mihi actually has a very special flute. Herself. She does. It's a prototype. But, I mean, it's. If you follow her on social media, you know that she plays a platinum flute because she is at platinum flute. Um, she plays a platinum Miyazawa with gold tone holes and silver keys. That's the only engraved. one that's been made, is it? Um, it is the only one in that particular configuration. Um, it, it was, and there's a different, a special kind of solder, I think, right. they were trying out for the tone holes. But it's an incredible instrument. Um, and she sounds really good on it. So if you're listening, hi. Oh, she'll be listening. Hi, me. I promise I'm going to come to Paris very soon. And we're going to go drink all the coffee. As you, as you do, as flute players As do. one does. Everyone's, I mean, everyone's in Paris, God, aren't they? They are. Me, he's in Paris. Patricia Nagel's in Paris. Claire's just done a podcast with Patricia, yeah. Oh, she's lovely. Um, Daniela, is Daniela in Paris? Daniela Mars is in Paris. Yeah. Yeah, Rachel Umbrin. Rachel, yeah, Rachel. You've, done, you've done a podcast with her, right? We've done a couple with her on with her. the, uh, the, the have a wonderful She is one. one of the coolest people in this entire industry. Yeah, Grammy, Grammy nominated now. Uh, yeah. Singer, cancer, model, fantastic flute player. And her band rose away again. I mean, you places. think I'm annoying. My God. She's talented and stunning and nice. It's almost offensive, really. <laughs> uh, and on that bombshell. Je t'aime, Rachel. <laughs> On that mm. bombshell, let's go for lunch. Let's go have lunch. Talk to you soon. Wonderful, wonderful to catch up with you, Josh. And lovely to speak to you too, everybody. Until we speak again next week, may your week be musically fulfilling. May your high B be particularly flat and your low C very sharp. <laughs> Goodbye. Who could ask for anything more? Bye. <laughs> Bye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.